Welcome to the podcast. It's Chris Graham. I got Scott German joining me today. You can tell my voice is still a little under the weather, even though I'm not. It's just I'm recovering from whatever I've got. Uh, There's stuff, stuff going around. Scott's healthy, so we'll uh, we'll lean on Scott here a little bit. Scott, knock, knock on wood, knock on wood here, knock on wood. Yeah, there you go. Um, we'll talk some UVA basketball, UVA football today. We got to start with basketball. Scott, you did some research. I joked about how uh, in a column I wrote about this that uh, the team's on exam break, and you didn't sign up for any classes, so you had some extra time with no finals, and you did some exhaustive research, and you found a lot of games. And I just wrote about three of them. But you found a lot of games where UVA had played, uh, you know, some significant, uh, significant uh, games in either JPJ or U Hall over the years. I narrowed it down to three that involved uh, top five matchups, top five versus top five, and um, what a history! I, I, you know, until we saw that, I didn't, I didn't realize the history of games in Charlottesville between top five teams. Oh, yeah, there was quite a few. Yeah, I did. You know, I had to help. I had help Google. I said it was my friend, but I also had a book that was written by a former Daily Progress sports editor, um, Gary Kramer. And uh, don't know if it's still available or not. Awesome book entitled Cavaliers, all on the history of Virginia basketball. Um, kind of goes up to about the second year of JPJ. So after that, I had to do a lot of uh, Googling. But yeah, there's been some monumental um, matchups in that um, over the last, well, I mean, just, just since JPJ came into existence too. But, of course, doing Ralph's tenure at UVA. Um, the one game, and I, and I was, and I had to call a couple of people that I knew would kind of have some opinion on it or some history that had been to most of those games. And as I said, I don't know if it makes me feel old or proud, but – Every one of those games that I had on that list, I had attended in person, including, and I, I believe, the 1969 game, in, of which I would have been just a 10 or 11-year-old, that I think my dad took me to between St. John's and, and UVA. So I'm proud of that, and it also makes me feel a little old. But, you know, Ralph's best, most impressive home game was not a matchup of top. I think if you ask people that – were there was not a matchup of top five teams. It was the Sunday Super Bowl Sunday in which UVA played the early game in, in, in ahead of the Super Bowl on CBS against Ohio State. It was a Super Bowl and, Sunday. It was also the Sunday that the Iranian hostages were freed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that had a little history in it, I guess. But, because I remember but, I was – okay, so you, you talked about you were 10 when uh, – that St. John's game you went to, I was nine uh, for that UVA um, Ohio State game on Super Bowl Sunday, also the day the hostages were freed. So I was watching it on TV. I didn't get to go to a game until I was a student at UVA in the, in the 90s. Um, but I was nine years old, also, a, 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 so I was a big sports fan and also a big politics fan at nine years old. Yes, I was a weird kid. And the game broadcast of that nationally televised game was, was interrupted by the news that the hostages had been freed. So, I mean, that was a very momentous day. Um, yes, I do remember that. Um, but I had far more important things that day, that, that, that UVA-Ohio State game. And in that game, just uh, if you – I saw in a couple of interviews that Clark Kellogg 
had done since he he basically said he was completely undressed during that game. Well, that was uh, the Samson. game where Ralph caught the uh, alley oop pass ab- above the square. Yeah, from just, from Jeff Jones. Yeah, above the above the square, above the basket there. Yeah, yeah that was very yeah. memorable as well. That was everything happened that day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and we were we had good seats, lower level of U-Haul, and, and and Jones takes the ball across half court. No shot clock, right? Right, right. Um, game clock was not expiring. And he throws up what looks like a last second shot. And I, and I think instantly everybody thought, oh my gosh, what is Jones doing shooting? And literally, Ralph went above the square to get the ball and, and, and tomahawked it home. I mean, it was probably the most impressive dunk in Ralph's many, many dunks in U- University Hall. It had to be. Um, the place was so loud that it got quiet for a second before <laughs> it was just unbelievable. But I think Ralph had about 40 in that game. He had 40 in that. That was his career high in that game. Yeah. And maybe 21 rebounds or something to that. Effect. I think the final score was 89 73. And that was again, without a shot clock, without a three point line. Yeah. So yeah, we've been a part of a lot. Virginia has been a part of a lot of, 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 you know, very historical games, very highly ranked games. It's a shame Houston didn't hold up there into the bargain. I'm wondering if, if, if they had, do you think the voters would have leapfrogged Purdue above us? I don't know why they did in the first place. I don't, Purdue. I don't either really, but I, I don't think they would have, you know, voters are just setting up the votings, but um, you know, to the, you know, that kind of thing, they'd be setting up a game if they were doing that, but um, boy, I got to say, it's still top five. And I don't know if you saw the text I sent you, Scott. I'm going when I wrote the column. You know, I picked just because there were so many games you gave me that list of, including the non-conference games. I just focused on the three games that were top five versus top five games. Did you notice the pattern there? I mean, I don't. I didn't notice it until I started writing the column. Yeah. Somebody who played one of the two teams who played in those top five versus top five games, the three. One of those teams won the national championship that year. Yeah, so so none of those games were – none of those billings were just between teams that just happened to get hot at the right time. Right. They were good those teams. teams went on to have national championship uh, seasons. Yeah. And I saw that. Yeah. And I saw that. And when I was looking at it, I, I, that's, that did come to my mind. I'm, you know, hey, looking back on those games, <laughs> those two teams that played – those two – teams all one of the two ended up as a national champion there was one other game on your list that they weren't both top five teams at the time um 2015 2016 so it was in december of 2015 villanova virginia um i think virginia was eight villanova was 12 or it might have been vice versa um the final virginia won that one 86 75 um i think we in the who were in the in the arena that night thought these are two final four teams Turns out Virginia went to the Elite Eight that year, had the 15-point lead with nine minutes to go on Syracuse and did not win the game. Um, Villanova won the national championship that year. So there was another game played of that stature. It wasn't quite top five, but another game of that stature where a team in the gym was a national champ, and it just happened um, that that year it was Villanova. So, yeah, there have been some big games, and we've seen that include that one. Um, that's three in the last eight years, including, you know, starting with this year, three in the last seven years, uh, and then add this year in where a national champion played in a huge game in JPJ. Um, and Virginia happened to be one of those. That's, that's the interesting thing there too. But the 82 game, now you were there. Um, 
uh, Ralph versus all the guys on Carolina. Uh, the, the, the fun thing was when I was researching the story, um, I came across I was looking for a, you know, a game story, if I could find one on that game. Thomas Boswell, the legendary Washington Post sports writer, um, had the gamer for that one. And um, he, you know, Ralph had 18 points, 12 rebounds. Othell Wilson had 20 points. And the way he wrote it in the story, um, the leading scorer for North Carolina was a freshman named Mike Jordan. Not Michael Jordan. Mike Jordan had 17 points for North Carolina in that one. So um, before he was Michael, um, people wanted to be like Mike. And, and, and that was, you know, that was Dean Smith's first national championship team that's hard to hard to believe too yeah that is i i didn't did not realize that um so mike jordan gave dean his first national title yeah yeah um one thing i wanted to before we jump into talking about houston um read an interesting story today just thinking out loud, how long do you think Jay Wright stays retired with what some of these high-profile schools suddenly going to be looking for coaches? I'm talking about Texas, um, Louisville, quite possibly, um, even though that um, they're only in their first year under their Kenny Payne first year. But, I mean, it's, they're horrible. They're, they're beyond horrible. Um, some other jobs, you know, Georgia tech job, probably going to come open, um, uh, speculation that Bayham, this could be his final, this could be his final go around. I mean, there's some pro, there's some pretty high profile jobs. I wonder if Jay Wright re- rethinks about being retired. That's a good question. Um, <clears throat> you know, it'd be I my would... first choice on all those jobs. If he has interest would be the only thing, um, and I'm, you can tell I'm dealing with a voice issue right now. If he has interest would be the thing, I think, because, you know, he is in his early 60s, I believe, and he just gave up a job. Now, Bronco Mendenhall from Virginia did a similar thing. Bronco's in his late 50s. Um, you know, you might get to a stage if you're Jay Wright or Bronco or a guy like that, and you say, mm, you know, I'm, I'm feeling burnt out. I've been doing this for so long. And then you take even a few months off, not even a whole year. You might start saying, Man, I missed I missed that, you know. I want to get back into that. And maybe it wasn't so much where you were, um, or you know, what you were doing as, as to where you were. Maybe you just kind of got tired with it and you just decide, you know what, it's probably it wasn't so much that I've you know, you know, missed this and can't do this. And then there's the challenge of, you know, if somebody hires you, if one of those high profile jobs hires you, you know, you gotta you gotta bring your thing there. So that could bring that renewed, refreshed, you know, refreshed energy. And I can see, I can see a guy like that doing that, not knowing him personally. I could just see that being the case. Yeah. And, and, you know, those guys are, these coaches are, are driven, you know, I'm sure all these are attributes that driven, they, they like the challenge. Um, he's not, you know, 60 is not old by any means. And, and if he did it right, he could position himself to, to leave, to leave the program to one of his successor, to one of his assistants, you know, yeah. this type of thing. So I, I think there's a good possibility that Jay Wright uh, is back on the sidelines next year. It's just a I, matter of where. I think Dick Bennett did something like that. When he left Wisconsin, you know, he had, he took him to the final four and then left. Um, he went to Washington state a couple years later and then, and then left that job for Tony. 
And then Tony built it into something where he got the job at Virginia. So yeah, I can see, I can see that happening too, where, you know, he goes and, and does a good job for a few years and then, and then hands it off to somebody that's, that'd be very similar to Dick Bennett. Yeah. It's don't, don't discount that. You heard it here first. Jay Wright's going to be somewhere next year on the sideline. Yeah. It, it, He's going to get his his agent if he still has one, which I would assume he does. His agent is going to get some calls. <laughs> Let's yeah. put it that way. Yeah. So um, I wonder. I'm sure getting information from UVA camp. I tried my best this week, but uh, I probably would have had a better um, luck trying to get information out of the White House about whether Biden is running again for office to see uh, if if. What the story, what the possibility of Beekman playing? All I'm hearing is day to day mm-hmm. on Saturday. Any, any, have you any updates? Uh, no, I just saw that Jason Williford addressed this and said the same thing day to day is all I've heard. So it's not Jason, Jason's been around Tony long enough to know that that's all he's going to say. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, um, it's one of those things where, you know, if, if he is going to play, I'm going to let you talk for a second, Scott, because I got to call again. Sure. Um, you know, a lot of people say, well, it doesn't really matter if he plays. It's so, well, this don't rush him back. Obviously, certain. But, but at, the, at the same time, eventually, I don't know how those injuries heal, but eventually he's going to have to go out and play. I mean, to play to some degree. Um, I, I'm, I'm thinking with a healthy Reese Beekman, that's going to be a game that uh, – is very winnable for UVA without Beekman on the side, uh, on the floor. We're going to see it could be a long day for UVA because uh, we had a long we had a challenge against JMU and without Beekman for 37 minutes. So um, without Beekman against a team, quality a team like Houston, nah, that might that might be a pretty tough, uh, pretty tough uh, assignment to try to come up with a win there. Well, and when we saw him go down uh, after that fast break layup against JMU, um, I said to you right away, <clears throat> he grabbed his hamstring, and I said, he's done for the day. Um, and the thing about hamstrings is you, you, there's nothing you could do about them. I mean, with an ankle, you can tape it up. Um, you can do rehab, et cetera. I mean, with a hamstring, you just have to rest it. And it's almost like, I mean, if he's not 100%, um, Saturday morning uh, when he wakes up, you don't want to send him out there to play this game in December because the worst thing you can do with a, with a hamstring injury is to try to play through it because all that does is belabor how long the recovery is. And so, I mean, we want him, we want him healthy for the game. We want him playing in the game. It'll be, it's, a, it's a big game. It's a, you know, you want to win the game. But what you really want to do is you want to win games in March and April. And if he gets if if a, a weak hamstring gets hurt worse in this game, that hurts your chances to win games in March and April. So that's the that's the question you've got. So for fans out there, I mean, if you don't see him out there on Saturday, yeah, it's going to be disappointing. But know that there's a longer term objective there if that's the case. Right. Um, win or lose, Saturday is not going to significantly do anything to our postseason chances, but you put him out there not healthy and he goes down again and, and, and you could be looking at a potential season ending injury to those. Cause those things are that slow and here healing. I do know that. Or season ending or just season limiting. I mean, we've, 
Brees Beekman at his best makes this Virginia team. That's why Virginia is ranked number two right now is because of Reese Beekman at his best. If Reese Beekman is 50%, I mean, this Virginia team is diminished. We saw it. You, you see what happens when Reese Beekman is not at 100%. You beat a one-win of FSU team by five points. You beat a, a JMU team that's pretty good, but you beat them by five points as well. So, yeah, we're hoping. We don't know. We're not trying to tell you we know anything. We're hoping he's 100%, but if he's not, if he's not 100%, it, you know, it depends. Then if he's, what is he, 90%? If he's 90% he, and he, he feels like he can go out there and not get hurt, great. I think also the, the the factor that goes into this is the the ankle that he hurt in the um, Michigan game. You wonder if there's a, a, a correlation to, you know, the fact that he hurt his ankle and then kept playing. Maybe that kind of led to the hamstring. I think there's been some indication of that from what I've seen, from what Tony has said, and, and I think what Jason had to say this week. So um, the health of the ankle can, can have have an impact there too. So, no, we need a we need a healthy Reese for I mean January and February, but also into March. We we, we want to be playing in Houston on April third, and so if, if that's the goal, um, beating Houston this week is not as important as playing in Houston in the Final Four. Chris, show you um, the, the the significance that the trainers and the team doctors play. I had a friend that uh, that that is on the. The, it, it, I won't say position, but he's in the area of the tunnel, which is where the teams come out or the visiting team comes out. And that's where the, the bench is, the, the examining table. And he was close by when they brought Beekman over, when Ethan Saliba, the trainer, uh, hit trainer brought him over. And then one of the orthopedic doctors, Dr. David Duck, came down and looked at him. And from what I was told, uh, Reese was like, I'm okay, right? I'm okay. I can play. I can play. And they had him get up. They had him put some weight on it. And the comment from 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 Dr. from one of the Dr. D Duck was not tonight. Uh-huh. So that was it. End of discussion. So I, I think they're going to err on the side of caution. And even though it would have been 10 days from now, I think if they are the least bit concerned that he's not like you said 90 percent, whatever that magic percent number is i don't think you're going to see him play saturday yeah yeah not not just you're not just trying to win this game you're trying to you know stay healthy for the rest of the season and hamstrings can linger and that's for in in, in a sport like basketball which is a constant sport it's not you know even in football i mean you know where there's a the plays are burst of five seconds and you're off for 40 seconds it can be an issue but if you're constantly running up and down the court and he's a point guard, his his game is his ability to his his lateral mobility, his 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 speed, his burst. I mean, yeah, he's he's not the same if he's not if he's not 100 percent healthy. So that that's a big problem. So Chris, I I'm gonna be honest. The Saturday uh, I had had an event to go to. I watched Houston and I and I didn't have a problem turning it off when Houston was up by about 12, and I was shocked when you sent me a text an hour later. Um, what happened? that they went from double-digit lead to losing. Defense broke down. Uh, that or Alabama was, was playing better offense. I, you know, I wasn't watching as much from an analytical perspective as just from an observing perspective. <clears throat> but it seemed that, you know, Alabama started hitting shots. And, you know, Houston's a team like Virginia that hangs its hat on its defense. Um, Houston's team is ranked second in defensive efficiency this year uh, nationally. 
And, uh, you know, Virginia's ranked uh, in a little lower. I think Virginia's 19th this year in defensive efficiency. And, yeah, Alabama just started making shots. Now, that Alabama team has played some tough games. They, they beat uh, North Carolina in four overtimes a couple of weeks ago. Um, but, yeah, Houston just, uh, uh, you know, they, they, were, they were up 15, and then they, they, their defense uh, gave in on them. So, um, and, you know, we've seen them win two games this year against uh, top 30 KenPalm.com opponents. Uh, St. Mary's was one of them. Um, and I lost track of the other, but, but uh, Kent State, uh, actually a top 60 opponent, uh, where they gave up 40 in the 40s defensively. Um, these are scores that Virginia fans are very familiar with um, when you see a, the opponents in the 40s. Um, they're, they're a mirror image team of Virginia in a lot of ways. Um, you know, their possessions are low, not as low as Virginia, but they're still in the, in the low, in the, in the 300s uh, in terms of. Um, Adjusted tempo. They they average sixty three point five possessions a game. This game on Saturday is going to be a it's going to be like a Virginia inter squad scrimmage for Virginia fans. We are, we are used to the kind of game we're going to see. These two teams each do the same thing. They have long offensive possessions. Um, they have, they they strangle you on defense. And um, this game is going to be in the forties or fifties. But in that game against Alabama, yeah, Alabama just. Start hitting shots, and it happens. I mean, Virginia fans are used to seeing this uh, occasionally. Um, you know, a team just starts – Duke, a few – one of those games, one of those top five games a few years ago, the 2015 game. Virginia was up, I think, 11 points at the four-minute timeout, and then Duke didn't miss a shot down the stretch. The defense didn't change. The other team just started making shots. So, I think that's what happened in the, in the Alabama game was just a little bit of what Duke did to Virginia a few years ago. So – be prepared for a 51-46 type score. Oh, yeah. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be – I mean, it's going to be ugly in a way that both those coaches are going to say is beautiful. Yeah, no doubt about that. Were you – what do you think of uh, Kelvin Sampson on, as, a, as a coach on the bench? I, he's, he's built that program in, in a great way. I, you know, I didn't really pay – I know he's had other – he had other jobs in the end, I believe, was one. Um. But, you know, if, if we like Virginia's style of play, we have to like his style of play. Um, and he's doing this in a conference that is, you know, not a power five. Uh, and Houston's legit. They were in the Final Four two years ago, the Elite Eight last year. They're number five in the country this year, spent a few weeks at number one. So, um, you know, I got to say, without paying close attention to him, uh, he's, he's done a bang-up job there. I know he had some issues. I think, you know, there were some – you know, he had uh, at, at Indiana, wasn't it? He he got uh, ended up getting let go because of some NCAA violations involving impermissible um, number of contacts. I mean, it was one of those rules. It wasn't like he was accused of coaches giving money to players. It was just a lot of a lot of text messages and stuff like that to to players that more more than what the NCAA allows. But um, you know, he I guess he's learned his lesson as far as that goes, and. Um, um, looking at the team he's built, he's built a pretty interesting looking team. I mean, they, 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 they make, they make you earn points. They make you score points. And, um, this year's team, when I looked at them offensively, you know, they, nothing jumps out at you. They got one guy averaging a double figures offensively. That's the Sasser kid that we remember from last year that had 19 against us last year. Um, it's not like they, they overwhelm you with offense, but they overwhelm you with defense. And that that's what Virginia fans are used to. So, I mean, I, I can't do anything but admire that. 
Yeah. Um, not sure whether this is the last year Houston will be in the A, uh, AAC before going to the Big 12. So life's going to be a little bit different. Little, little road's going to be a little more bump, a little bumpier in the Big 12. Yeah. yeah. Certainly. Uh, which a lot of people think is the number one conference in the country this year. Basketball-wise, I'm not sure I agree with that. but Top to bottom, I think it might be. Yeah. Maybe, maybe with, with Texas, Texas Tech, Kansas. Um, but uh, should be fun. Should be fun Saturday. That's, that's for sure. I know that I know the, I know JPJ will be filled to the rafters. Even though students out, I've heard that a lot of students, uh, the student allotment was gobbled up pretty quickly by the students. So, yeah, you know, and I think what helps with that is I, I guess exams are probably over Friday. Um, and so if you're a student who wants to, you know, be a in the who crew, and this is a game, I mean, gosh, this is, I mean, we got, I think we have both Duke and Carolina at home this year, but. This is a top five game. They don't have a lot of those on the schedule. As a guy who was a student in the '90s at UVA, who also happened to live not, you know, I, I, my home was thirty miles away, so it wasn't that hard. But yeah, I was there over the Christmas break for these kind of games. One year, when I was a student, my first year at UVA, um, <laughs> this was bad scheduling. Whoever was in charge of scheduling in 1990-1991. Um, both the Duke and North Carolina home games were over the Christmas break. Um, this was great for me <laughs> personally, because I could just drive over, get there two hours early, and I was sitting right behind the basket. Um, but from the standpoint of having a, you know, a great crowd environment, not so good. Um, and, and it, you know, I think there was a good enough crowd environment. We, that was the year we beat Duke on a Saturday. And it's the day that, that uh, it was a, like a 12 o'clock tip. And um, Krzyzewski put the Duke team on the bus, got them off the bus in Durham and made them practice again. Now you can't do that anymore. There's actually an NCAA rule against that. But that was a Duke, the first of Duke's two national championships in a row team. Um, Christian Leitner, uh, Grant Hill, Bobby Hurley, all those guys. But Virginia blew them out in that game. And then there was a game. Uh, the, the following Saturday was Carolina at home. That one went to double OT. Virginia lost that game. But, um, yeah, I, I was there for both those. They were both over Christmas break. Um, and for the kids, yeah, if you, if you only have to stay an extra day, you get to stay an extra day to see number two versus number five. That's not so bad. Yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of kids, too, that live in Northern Virginia, Richmond, Virginia Beach. So it's not that big, even if they've got through exams early, you know. Yeah, not yeah. That big drive. So I had a I had a – friend and I were talking last night and he asked me, he said, if, if, if you had one, Virginia's eight, no, number two in the nation, very easily could have been number one. Uh, if you were to say what moving forward would be the, the one component that the, the team has to have, has to have, cannot, cannot win a national championship without this happening. One, just one. What do you think it is? Now, <laughs> I, I, well, yeah, I think that's obvious, Beekman. But I think if I think we're I think I think Reese is going to continue to play well. Uh, we, we've seen that. I mean, it's a proven. He's a proven commodity. I think. And haven't thought about his question and answering. Um, I don't think Virginia can win a national championship. 
unless you see continued development from uh, McNeely and Dunn. And I'm talking about more, more contribution than what we're getting from them right now. Huh. I, you know, because I, I don't see how you can take six guys without having an eight-man rotation and that every one of those eight guys contributed pretty significantly. Um, I don't know that they need to contribute more just, just consistently, you know, whatever they're doing. I mean, as long as they're not liabilities when they're on the court. I mean, I think the biggest thing is, you know, and, and, and I think maybe the reason the voters uh, in the national polls who probably don't watch a lot of games, and that's why I don't really care about voting and things like that anymore. In fact, this year I'm not voting in anything and I'm not going to vote in the future um, because I know that most people don't pay close attention to what they're voting on. Um, if you don't pay attention to Virginia closely, you look at that. Well, they had 62 against Florida state and 55 against JMU. That's the old Virginia team. Well, that's because Reese Beekman was hundred percent. When Reese was 100%, Virginia's offense was number four in the country in offensive efficiency. Um, Tony and his staff have completely overhauled the offense, and it's built around Reese Beekman's um, skill set. And, you know, they're, they're rarely running the mover blocker anymore. And it's a, very, it's a lot of pro-style, NBA-style sets, and it's very effective. And so, um, you know, what I like about McNeely is that he hasn't shown it quite yet. We know he can, though, be a knockdown shooter, and that's what you need from him because this the offense, when Beekman is out there and, and Kia Clark's the other point guard, um, is going to create a lot of open looks for three-point shooters. What I love about Ryan Dunn is that he is, I mean, nothing against at all Francisco Cafaro, but Cafaro has been a zero factor um, the last few games because of Dunn's emergence. Um, Dunn, when he was recruited, was a 6'4 guard. He's 6'8 now. He's got a wingspan of seven feet. These are numbers that sound an awful lot like another guy, DeAndre Hunter. And he's got the explosiveness of DeAndre Hunter, but he's still got the skills of that guard they recruited a few years ago when they first started recruiting him. And so he can play anywhere. He can run off the screens as a, as a guard. He can play in the post. And so, you know, you've got a better – nothing against Kafaro again. But when Shedrick goes out, and you've got Ben Vanderplas who can play either three, four, or five. You've got now Dunn, who can play either three, four, or five, offensively and defensively. That makes that Virginia team a lot more um, versatile, certainly. And I think the versatility is the key. So I think we're seeing what, if, if all we got out of those guys is what we're getting now, that'd be great because they're already eating up minutes and they're not liabilities in those minutes. Now, yes, we need to see McNeely knocked down more of those open shots. And, and I want to see 15 minutes of Ryan Dunn, you know, and e even get more efficient on both sides. But, um, I mean, the key here is, is, is Reese because the offense has been completely overhauled to um, take advantage of his very unique abilities. And so, you know, that's why you talked about earlier, asked the question, what about, what about Reese in this game? You know, we want him in this game, but we need him. This everything that has been le to leading us to this point from the summertime on the trip to Italy on has been oriented towards getting this offense to modernize. Um, and it's all because of Reese. And so, um, you know, and, and now Tony, you look at what he's recruiting, he's recruiting more point guards who can do things like Reese, you know, he, Tony for, for, for Tom immemorial at Virginia recruited point guards who 
um, could play good defense, move the ball, um, and and not make mistakes. And now he's he's now that he's got access to guys like Reese, and he wants more guys like Reese. Hey, let's get some guys out there who can who can do some damage at point guard. Um, so I think I think Reese is a key, and then even more than McNeely, I think Dunn might be a key. If we can have him being sort of a you know a mini DeAndre Hunter, continue having him be that way. What DeAndre was as a redshirt freshman. Um, yeah, this team has a high ceiling. I just think I found it. I did looking at some. So far this season, McNeely. McNeely has played in 40, almost 46% of available minutes. Dunn is about 28, 27 and a half, which tells me that Tony trusts them yeah. to hold their own. That's that's a lot of minutes for – that's a rare, rare feat for a first-year player under Tony Bennett. But, you know, Dunn it looks like he's coming in and he's just becoming a, a really good defender as well for, for a freshman, for someone in, for, in that Tony's defensive scheme. Um, uh, he, he, I've noticed – he looks very comfortable of being a, a almost a shutdown defender yeah. out on the wings. Um, so, yeah, I don't. I'm not saying that if they don't get better, I think they are good. I think obviously they're doing something because they're getting minutes, right? Yeah. And Kafaro is not getting minutes, so that kind of you know his his absence is speaking pretty much volumes as to what's going on in practice, what's going on when they're out on the floor. Um, but it, those two players certainly are pivotal for us because the other thing is, yeah, Reese could get healthy, but you got six guys at one point in the season. Somebody's going to, you, know, you can't expect them to stay healthy every game. Somebody might go down and miss a game or two. And it looks like McNeely and Dunn are pretty versatile as to where, where they can be on the floor. Yeah. This, the season's uh, ceiling, though, really depends a lot, certainly on, on um, um, Beekman. I mean, you know, go down the list. Caden Shedrick, if he can stay out of foul trouble, come on, guy. Uh, you know, that's a big problem for him is, is the foul trouble. He's averaging, let's see here. Um, I'm looking at the per, per 40 minutes numbers. Averaging 4.9 fouls per 40 minutes. Um, you know, we're, if he played 40 minutes a game, again, these are the per 40 minutes numbers, he'd be averaging 15.5 points and 8.1 rebounds a game, but he's in, he's in foul trouble so much that instead of that, he's averaging 9.1 points and 4.8 rebounds a game. Um, you know, what we're seeing out of him is, is in the minutes we're getting from him, and he's averaging 23 and a half. If we get him for 27 to 30 minutes a game, he's shooting 68.6% from the field. He's hitting threes. He's getting to the foul line. Caden is averaging 3.9 free throw attempts per game um, and shooting 77.4% on those. He's blocking two shots a game. We just need more Caden. Um you know, that that's a key. Armand Franklin, um, after he, you know, Franklin had a couple of really big games early. He's been kind of very silent lately. He's averaging 11 a game, but you know, we, we, it'd be great to see, you know, more consistent, you know, top level games out of, out of Franklin. Um, Gardner has been coming on his own lately. Uh, he, he's more efficient shooting 53% from the field this year. He was a little bit below 50 last year, I think 49.1% last year. Um, and we love to see him shoot better from the line. You know, one thing I like about this team, as opposed to the last few years' teams, even the one that had Sam Hauser and Jay Huff 
um, and Trey Murphy. I mean, three guys are in the NBA, or two guys in the NBA, one back and forth between the NBA and G League. Um, but the two who are in, in, in the NBA are doing great, uh, Murphy and Hauser. Um, that team didn't get to the foul line very much. And this team is one of the nation's best teams at getting the foul line. And that, I don't, you know, that's because of the offense changing. Right now, Virginia is 13th in the country in free throw attempts. That's not, that's not pace adjusted. That's 13th actual, in actual trips, actual trips to the line with Virginia being third in the nation in fewest ter- uh, uh, um, um, possessions per game. And we're still getting the foul line as much as anybody in the country. So, um, you know, this team is, is, is getting the line. Um, that's something that, you know, really no Tony teams have done. Even, even the really good ones didn't get to the line like this team's getting. And that's what keeps you from, you know, when you're in a slump, when you're in Virginia, you know, Virginia fans are used to the shooting slumps, but when you're in a shooting slump, but you can get to the foul line. Now the other night against JMU, we were 12 to 24 at the foul line. Um, a lot of that was key. A Clark having to play both point guard positions by himself for most of the night after Reese got hurt. Um, he missed five in a row at one stretch in the second half. But um, if you can get to the foul line, you could that 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 can keep you from getting into a protracted scoring slump. And um, that's something that that not many Tony Bennett Virginia teams have had. Yeah, um, getting to the line and making your share of shots two different things. And, and hopefully, the, the the game against JMU was just a, an asterisk. That it, we'll, it, we'll, as Tony said, we're up until then we were close to seventy over 70% shooting from the, from the foul line. So hopefully we'll, that won't be something that happens very often, but, uh, and, and I, and I do, I think Reese is obviously the key before the season. We talked about Virginia could make that next leap, could make that leap. If Reese Beekman became the guy, well, if you look at what Reese has done in some of the big wins, he has been the guy. So he's done what's asked of him. We just need to keep him healthy now from, from, from here out once he gets back on the floor. I think he's, he's been the guy, um, but it's also in part because Tony is featuring him as the guy. Right. You know, again, melding the offense to, to um, utilize his unique skill set. And, you know, instead of, hey, let's run mover blocker with you and make you run off screens when you don't have the ball – that's not using his skill set very well. This new offense, and I don't. There's no name for it. I'm. 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 I, don't, I might be the only guy who's noticed, or at least written about having noticed, because um, I've done some searches to see what other people are having to say about this. But you know, Scott, I pointed it out to you at the last two games we were sitting side by side at the Florida State and GMU games. You know, the mover blocker offense works with the two big setting screens, and then. Um, the, the, the guards running off those screens and Virginia is using more, I mean, the, the, especially the, the last two games exclusively using these sets where the two bigs are setting more pick and rolls for the ball handler and the ball handler then either gets into the lane um, to, for a dribble drive to the rim or kicks it out to a shooter. Um, and so the shooters are standing in the corner stationary and the bigs are then, you know, creating. It's almost like a five, a five wide, a five out kind of a, a set. Um, and this is all to say, we know you can't guard Reese one on one, and he's taking advantage of that. He's shooting. I, I had the numbers up here. He's shooting forty three point six percent from the floor, 
47.1% from two, but around the rim, he's around 60% um, on shots at the rim, and he's getting a lot of shots at the rim. Uh, against Michigan, he was five of six um, from the rim. Uh, the Baylor game, he was four of six at the rim. This is a 6'3 guard getting to the rim and making shots against the bigs because he's not really going against the bigs. He's just, he's beating his his defender off the dribble and getting to the rim because there's nobody there. We're not clogging the middle with with all the screening action going on down below. So um, this offense is basically Tony Bennett saying, I can win a national championship with Reese Beekman being the man. And Reese Beekman has lived up to that to this stage. Yeah, I agree. He has. Um, should be fun. You know, that one one quick note, not looking ahead, but I guess that's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> ACC tournament is in Greensboro, and the South Regional is in Greensboro. So you're already making some travel plans, huh? <clears throat> Can we just stay down there? <laughs> um, yes, and, and that there, there was someone I'd read that there was someone had been again. We're putting cart way ahead of the horse. Yeah. Well, if you're, can you play in the same regional? If you play, could Virginia play in the same regional if they played three games at in the Greensboro? Of course, can. Yeah. yeah the, there is a there is a uh, an NCAA clause now that says if you play three games on the court on that same court during the regular season okay you can't you can't be in that regional but so the ACC tournament even if Virginia were to run the run the whole tournament and play the three games um I would assume they're just going to play three let's hope they don't get into the playing games and all that but uh because it's postseason that wouldn't that wouldn't affect them so they could could be down in Greensboro for an extended period of time, uh, stay well, in March. There's two. There's going to be two of the three between Virginia, uh, North Carolina, and Duke. And right now it's Virginia and Duke because um, Carolina has lost four games already this year. But two two ACC teams will be playing in Greensboro because of the way they do it now, where it's not right. you know the bracketed kind of thing. You can have yeah. two different regions there. There's going to be two teams there. Um, right now, if the season was to end, yeah, Virginia is one of them. So uh, they'll, they'll be playing in Greensboro. They'd be the first one to be playing in Greensboro. Um, and, uh, you know, on that note, I said this to somebody the other day, um, the last three ACC teams that won national championships lost in the semifinals in the ACC tournament. So um, you want to win the games, but don't feel too bad if you lose in the semis on Friday night. Um, because that that means it's kind of like this little little tease I'm giving now about the last three times there were top five matchups in JP or in, in Charlottesville, including U-Haul. Um, uh, a team who played in that game played and won the national championship. It's one of those little things. You just you know, it's it, it's probably coincidence, but maybe it's not coincidence. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. There's, you know, something happens more a few times. It becomes, it becomes more than coincidental, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Pattern pattern there. So I know we talked about Houston and we have, um, so where do you think I'm still saying Brennan Armstrong to Cincinnati, but you're, you're thinking maybe NC state, Oklahoma state. Um, I'm thinking if he's going to play that one year, he's going to go closer to home. Well, um, according to On3 Sports, he's got visits planned to Oklahoma State and Wisconsin. And um, I, I throw NC State in there as well, but let's talk about Oklahoma State and Wisconsin. 
both those schools had veteran quarterbacks who, like Brennan, are leaving. Um, uh, at Oklahoma State, they had a four-year starter, Spencer Sanders, who just decided to leave. He's going. He's he's entered the transfer portal December fifth. At Wisconsin, it's a guy named Graham Mertz um, who has started there for three years. So, uh, Brennan started at Virginia for three years. Uh, NC State is an interesting one too. Devin Leary was the preseason player of the year in the ACC this year. Got hurt in the sixth game, and. He decided to transfer. I thought he, if, if anything, he would be going to the NFL draft, but he's going to the transfer portal. So um, the reason I'm throwing NC State in there, he has not, Brennan has not uh, officially set a visit there, but that's where Robert and I is the new offensive coordinator down at NC State. The merry-go-round that started with uh, Auburn hiring Hugh Freeze from Liberty ended to this stage, at least, with Robert and I at NC State because, let's see, um, uh, Auburn hired Liberty coach Hugh Freeze. Liberty then hired Coastal Carolina's coach Jamie Chadwell. Uh, Coastal Carolina then hired Kim Beck, the offensive coordinator at NC State. That led Robert Anai to decide to go to NC State to be the offensive coordinator. Uh, Jason Beck is now the offensive coordinator at, at Syracuse. And uh, so Brennan, I mean, you know, if, if you're Brennan, okay, I can go run the offense at NC State for a year. I know the offense better than anybody can know it because it's Robert and I, he's going to be calling the plays. Um, they've got two freshmen who started combined the last six games of the season for NC state. Um, but if I'm Robert and I, and I'm choosing between two freshmen, I've got to teach the offense or a fifth year guy who knows the offense in and out as well as I do. If Brendan wants to go into NC state, I would think he's going to NC state, but also Wisconsin, big 10, Oklahoma state, big 12, you're throwing Cincinnati in there. Um, let's just say that our boy Brennan has got some choices. He does. He's got an op- he's got an opportunity to build his uh, build his resume back up and and show people that this was just a, a one off. Whatever you want to say, it a, a didn't it didn't fit the, the new offense that Elliott ran didn't fit whatever. So um, and I wish him the best of luck. I hope he's a Heisman Trophy candidate next year, wherever he goes. And Garrett Tuje is also at NC State, uh, the offensive line coach from Virginia. He left Virginia to go to NC State. So I guess you can say that uh, Auburn hiring Hugh Freeze led to that as well. Um, and then there's this news, Scott. Um, we um, at Virginia, um, we, so we have a, a quarterback job open because Brent Armstrong's leaving. And we've got the guy from Monmouth competing for her job. This is, <laughs> I, I don't mean to dunk on anybody here, but, you know, we've been talking about the football recruiting in terms of the prep recruiting really all season long and how Virginia is competing with the likes of Mac schools and FCS schools for the, our two and three star recruits that we're getting uh, on the preps. And, and now um, to replace Brennan Armstrong, we've got the, the, the starter from Monmouth, Tony Musket, I mean, he, he, he's, a, he's a Northern Virginia guy. He played at West Springfield High. Um, and uh, he led uh, Monmouth to a 14-9 record as a starting quarterback there. But, you know, I don't know what your opinion is, Scott, but I think if you're – I mean, God meaning no offense to, to Tony Musket, he, he's, he might be a quarterback next year. But if your quarterback's an FCS guy, doesn't that make your team pretty much an FCS team? Uh, well, let me just say this. I, I have a friend that – uh, that lives in Northern Virginia. That's a huge high school football follower in that area. And he told me 
Now, this is some very deep, some very uh, serious intel uh-huh. that musket has a rifle for an arm. <laughs> so the name doesn't belie the name belies <laughs> what he really has. He doesn't have to. That's my last. He, that's there's too. That's too easy. That's low hanging fruit. But he doesn't have to muzzle load. Is what you're saying? Yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I mean, we're, we're, the program is in bad shape right now, Chris. Um, it, what alarms me more than anything is that Coach Elliott did not get any bounce at all from uh, that many programs do from a new coach coming from Clemson. Um, you know, and that the, the transfers that we're getting uh, are generally we're the only Power Five offers they're getting. Yeah, it's yeah. worse than high. It's worse than our high school recruiting. Yeah, which 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 if you dig a little deeper, that's alarming because you you got to feel like they've they've had a chance to those players are in college, they know the inner workings. And that's all we're getting is F- FCSs. And we're not getting James Madison type when James Madison was an FCS team. Um, we're getting Monmouth type players. Well, like William uh, Mary, well, Mike London's uh, new school uh, was in the division, uh, the, the FCS playoffs with an 11 and one record. We're not getting those guys. We're getting guys who didn't even make the playoffs in FCS, right? Exactly. So it's, it's really disturbing. And, and, and it, that's got to change quick or we're going to be right back into looking for a new coach um, within a year. I mean, you look at the profile. Yeah. How much he's, whatever he has, whatever bio he has remaining, because it could be an historically bad year for Virginia football and Virginia football has had some historically bad years. You go back into the seventies. Yeah. And sixties and seventies. Yeah. That's, that's what we're staring at. We, uh, we, We've written the book many times on historically bad years. Yeah. And, and to think none of it had to be. Had it to be. did not have to be. And we can talk about what did or didn't happen with Carla Williams and, my, and, and, and Bronco Mendenhall. Uh, we can talk about maybe Tony Elliott wasn't the greatest hire. We can talk about, well, if he'd only not been such a, uh, you know, a bull about in, installing his offense with players that weren't comfortable in that. Uh, you know, we can talk about that for days. And yeah. the fact is, is next year we're going to be hard pressed to get a couple of wins. Yeah, that's right. I and, mean, and I don't see a path that that can lead to anything other than another coaching change in a couple of years, if not sooner. Yeah, Virginia's losing Fentrell Cypress, the top cornerback. You're losing Nick Jackson, uh, one of the ACC's best middle linebackers. Um, I mean, these are guys like Nick Jackson. I remember talking weeks, with him. We lost weeks. Right. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, hey, I, I just saw something earlier today that he he went to LSU. Oh, you mean West Weeks? He he left last year for Dontavian Wicks. Yes, uh, uh, he left. He he trans. I thought he uh, declared for the NFL draft. Okay, that's right. That's right. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah I'm was- looking at last year weeks. Um, <clears throat> of course, the the center uh, that we lost to Michigan. It was. The, Name what team he was top uh, center in the country, Remington Trophy and Outland Trophy winner. Um, Uh, yeah, Haskins to USC, USC. I mean, my gosh, um, Tony and Tony, well, he has admitted it, he didn't do a good enough job of recruiting those guys. He, he, what he hasn't admitted is he didn't do a good enough job 
reading the room and realizing that we can win games now with an offense that maybe he wasn't comfortable with. But um, look at Tony Bennett. We just spent a half hour or more talking about how Tony Bennett completely overhauled his offense to feature the talents of the team that he has. Reese Beekman, and they're, they're, they're not running the mover blocker that he inherited from his dad this year. They're running a completely different offense because it makes the team better. Tony Elliott inherited a team that ran a – they were the third in the country in, in total offense last year, and he wanted to put his imprint on it. And because he put his imprint on it, they, they finished um, 103rd this year in total offense, and now everybody's leaving – that could have changed things for the better next year. And you look at where the recruits are coming from. They're coming from, I mean, not only did we get, and again, I don't mean to diminish the young man, but he's Monmouth's quarterback. The big offensive line recruit that we got off the transfer portals from division two, don't mean to diminish him, but he's a D two offensive lineman. When you, when your players are that level players, that's how you're going to play. These guys, the coaching staff we have now, has not proven the ability to coach players to play a system effectively because, damn it, they had the third-best offense coming handed to them, and they turned it into the 103rd-best offense. What are they going to do with guys who don't have that same level of talent that they inherited from last year? It's not looking good, Scott. I totally agree with you. Yeah, the old saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, that was very much applied to, 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 to Coach Elliott. If it wasn't broke. Now, next year, um, next year it's going to be broken. He had every right to fix it next year with his players, but uh, but it's it's going to get ugly. I, I don't I don't I don't know how. Um, I'm still trying to figure out how we can get out of playing Tennessee in that opening game down in Nashville. Well, you know, we'd have to then start getting out of ACC games too. So <laughs> eventually, yeah. got to play somebody. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think if we play an FCS schedule next year, we might not do so well, to be honest. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> but, you know, now, there again, there's a chance for him to to take a team that's not going to be very well – you know, we're not going to be not, – we're not going to get a lot of respect. There's an opportunity there for him to coach these players up, make them better. Um, so there is – you know, you can – there is a path, and that's that's a pretty tough challenge to make division FCS players that weren't recruited out of high school, uh, division two players that weren't recruited out of high school to play division one football, FBS level football. Um, boy, I tell you what, if he does that, if he's able to pull that one off, then then more power to him. And then that's not even accounting for the mental anguish that the whole program's still in right now, given what happened November thirteenth. Ticket sales. I mean, we're looking at a, a situation next year, Chris. We may be looking at low twenty thousands for some of our games. I know we, I know we actually saw that last year, but I'm talking about even the inflated numbers being in the low twenty thousand. Yeah, you almost wish that the first game was a home game um, because you know there'd be a lot of emotion after what happened November thirteenth for the first home game. No matter who you're playing, there'd be great attendance just because it'd be the first game. Um, but that will go away on the road down in Nashville against a Tennessee team that's going to win overwhelmingly in that game. And by the time Virginia has its first home game, you know, it's not going to have the special nature of it. It's the first game that we've played since that tragedy happened. Um, and it's just going to be reality of, man, we just got beat 59 nothing by Tennessee. Um, 
So yeah, we're not even going to get the the emotional turnout for a first game. I don't think, um, you know, coming after after the the horrible tragedy. So yeah, yeah, and then and then then yeah, then it's just it's just going to be a, a a depressing season from there. But hey, I want to end on a high note. Number two versus number five on grounds on Saturday. Uh, let's leave it there. How about uh, Scott? Yes. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, your thoughts. I mean, obviously a lot hinges and we don't know about Reese Beekman's status. I've not been this nervous about someone's status since Ty Jerome. Remember, remember going into that Duke game that we talked about 2019 Ty Jerome had gotten injured uh, in a NC, I think it was at NC state. And it was one of those weird ones where we, we had a week off because of the ACC schedule. So there was like an eight or nine day period. Ty had gotten his, I think maybe it was an ankle injury. And I remember coming to that Duke game and we were there two hours early and he didn't come out for like pregame shooting, you know, the pregame shoot around. And then he came out like with the, with the layup line and we're like, Hey, Ty's healthy. Ah, Ty's healthy. And um, we might be like that on Saturday. If Reese comes out, we're, we're, we're going to be there two hours early just to see if Reese is out there. Okay. What is, is he, is he, um, is he in, in, in sweatpants? No, no, he's got shorts. On. Hey, he's, 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 he's going to play. Um, this, there's a level of excitement about that, but, um, so prefacing that, um, your thoughts on Saturday, uh, win lose. Well, it obviously with Reese, we, we, a healthy race. Um, I, I feel like we, we win. We have, we, we have the home court advantage. Uh, we play well in JPGA. Uh, we win the game without Reese. It's going to be a, you know, it's going to be a real challenge for us, but you've got to look at the big picture. If Reese is not on the floor, then that's because our medical staff deems that he's not 100% or not 90%, whatever that number is, uh, ready to play. And if you think how important that is, as important as as a marquee matchup like Houston, Chris, we play at Miami Tuesday night. That's right. That's right. So if it means a healthy Reese, 100% for Miami, if it means he sets out of the Houston game, I vote for for him setting out the Houston game. It's a, it's a conference game, right? So you're you're playing for you're, you're playing for conference standings there. So no doubt about that. That's a, that's a great point to put, point that out. Um, well, um, I somehow made it through about an hour long podcast um, for the most part. <laughs> I I did one time when I was talking swallow whole one of my cough lozenges. So that's interesting. Um, you didn't notice that, but um, thanks to Scott for being with me here, and 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 uh, thanks to you guys for listening as well. And look for more pregame coverage on AugustaFreePress.com from both Scott and I. If you have any questions, any anything you want us to address on a future podcast or on the website, email me at Chris at AugustaFreePress.com.